Hello, everyone. Do you like live stand-up comedy? I will be in Washington, D.C. on April 19th, 2023, performing some live stand-up at Union Stage. You can go to microscenecomedy.com for tickets. Also, road dates coming up. I'm doing Salem, Oregon. I'm doing Lafayette, Louisiana. I'm doing Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm doing Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm doing uh, Providence, Rhode Island. All those dates are up at microscenecomedy.com. And please buy a ticket to the D.C. shows. If you're in the area... If you got some friends, they're riding my ass a little bit about the ticket sales. And if you are not a Patreon subscriber, which is um, totally fine, even though $5 a month does get you a free episode, a bonus episode every week, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, which we are now active on. If you go to Out for Smokes, I'm sorry, what's the YouTube? Just if you search Out for Smokes. Yeah, maybe you our go names to the channel, as well. You, you go know? to the channel with 47, with <laughs> 300. You're out of breath right now. I know. Yeah, me too, for some reason. Just, yeah. Wow. It's probably long COVID or something. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably long trip to Queens. Too fat to do your plugs. (laughs) It was probably, you know, it was probably the walk up this one flight of stairs. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he did. By the way, it's one flight of stairs. And I I met Mike at the door. Yeah. And we we waited for the elevator. I always take the elevator. This is the first time we, he's on the second floor, brother. Yeah, but I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to wait. <laughs> I don't want to wait for the ambulance to come get me because I walked up the stairs. Yeah, Mike wants yeah. his heart to explode. Yeah, I don't know. Oh. But I always take the elevator. I don't even know where the stairs are in this building. Oh, do you take the stairs the when you come here? Yeah, yeah, I take you the do. stairs. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, I guess I could start doing that. Anyway, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Out for Smokes, Out for Smokes on YouTube. We are 300 subscribers away from 5,000 subscribers, which is good for a little ragtag operation like like ours. And, um, and that's about it. You can join the Patreon, and uh, let's start the show. Son, if you're listening, I'm dead. But, um... Uh, I left you this podcast. You'll be all right. Just pretend that I went out for smokes. All right, we're starting the show. <laughs> um, how we doing? Good. I got into a fight with an old man at the grocery store today. Why so? Uh, there's a guy. There's a guy in my neighborhood. His name's Tony. He's a, he's a awful, he's a nasty, he's a nasty guy, very nasty guy. And I was at the grocery store and he was in the, the, the line next to me and I hear him saying to the cashier, he said something along the lines of like, of like, uh, uh, I gotta, I gotta do your job. And then he says, put it in the bag. I think he wanted the cashier to bag his groceries, but this is a guy who yelled at my wife for letting our dog pee outside and has also There's used... no way that's the full story, but continue. <laughs> what do you mean? There's no, no way that's the story. How is that not the full story? <laughs> Your dog peed outside and that's it. He was it was like he was in his car <laughs> and the dog peed on his sidewalk or whatever. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, he's a fucking asshole. Oh, okay, yeah. And he's used homophobic slurs against two of my dear friends. <laughs> so I was like so so I didn't even really know what he <laughs> It's Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Dice Clay moved to Mike's neighborhood. <laughs> Hey, Rover, bend over. He's like, he's abusing my dog. <laughs> yeah, he keeps, yeah, my neighbor, he keeps commenting on my wife's tits and going, oh. <laughs> um, but I did. I followed him out of the store, and I he was getting into his car, and I, I kind of stared him down a little bit. And then he opened the door, and he goes, he goes, uh, can I help you? And I'm like, uh, I'm like, yeah, you want to? You might want to watch that attitude. And then he said, "He said, what are you looking at?" And I just kept walking. I don't, you know. You think you think what you do? <laughs> like these ran things. away. I did kind of. Run, <laughs> I did kind of run away. No, and, away and, and then what happened was like so. So he <laughs> he got in his car and drove away. And then and then as I was walking down the street, I saw him park, and he got out of his car. I think he saw me. I think we both knew each other was there, and we both kind of like ignored each other, <laughs> just because like. <laughs> it's, <laughs> we just like kind of walked like we yeah. didn't exchange any more words because we both it. like didn't want to but this guy's a piece of shit i know i know <laughs> i know for a fact that he has a son who killed himself shut up yeah Jesus. so that's like How do you the know ace. For fact? uh because the girls my friends nicole and natasha who are who he's homophobic le- who right. he's homophobic towards they M- mike is know. just collecting information in case he has to eight mile rap battle him <laughs> later <laughs> 
<laughs> you yeah, did. I got information like the Fed, and I know that your son is dead. <laughs> um, but I am is- fat. I am a kitty. Your son is still dead. <laughs> that doesn't even rhyme, Sean. I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, but that'll be if I if it ever if it ever escalates that'll be the little ace in my because I know the guy's he doesn't know my name but I know the guy's name I'm gonna go yeah maybe this is why your son killed himself wow <laughs> do you know why his son killed himself no but probably because he's got a terrible father do you know how his son killed no, himself? no I don't no I don't but yeah he's a very nasty guy and he got a little taste of his own medicine today he got uh, someone he got someone telling him to watch his attitude as I had my stroller with me and my dog. You know, things escalate and then you're like paying neighborhood kids to find out that his son killed himself. You've got some sort of spying operation going. I think checking his mail. (laughs) How do the women know? And he doesn't know where I live. I know where he lives. Whoa. Yeah. Well, because he's been so shitty to my neighbors that like they and so everybody on the block kind of hates this guy. So it'll I think it'll be sort of like a trunch bolt type situation. Situation, like from Matilda, where we're all going to start throwing our lunch at him, till he, and then he's never seen again. Yeah. So, Tony, if you're listening, you don't want the smoke, buddy. Okay. Mike just like waits for the mailman to show up, and he's like, "No, actually, I live in Tuar. Can I just check the mail there?" Hmm. It seems like he's got some past due bill notices. This will be worth bringing up. Hmm, looks like he's got a picture of his son in his on his uh, windshield wipers. <laughs> like I'll be taking that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Tony, I just wiped my ass with a picture of your dead son. He's going to come back as Freddy Krueger if, if this happens. What? He's going to haunt your children. No, I don't think so. Oh, yeah, yeah. If, 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 if the town, that's what happens to yeah, Freddy Krueger. He started it. Well, I think Freddy Krueger. Wait, started oh, so you're it defending too. you're defending Freddy Krueger. I'm, I'm not defending Freddy Krueger, but you don't chase a man down and then set him up on fire. You know, right? There's laws. Yeah, there is laws. You're supposed yeah. to send him to prison where he that's gets, why where judges' he children are haunted. Not you know, right? Yeah, right. Well, the problem. Well, what's funny is like the neighborhood's full of all these like dumb, like impulsive Italians that do, you know that like act out of anger. I'm probably the least impulsive wop in this neighborhood. Wow. Because <laughs> everyone else is so fucking. But um, I got a parking ticket one time because you know during street cleaning people double park. So I guess this guy was trying to get out and he like my car was blocking him in. So I go I go to my car and there's a ticket on it and there's a note on it that says leave your number next time. You're you're or inconsiderate and he spelled it wrong i know he wrote it in a fucking you know wop uh hustle bustle and uh so i i i took a note of of the car that i was blocking i was only blocking in one car and then i later that night i left a note on his car and i said (laughs) i had the note just said there's nothing worse than a rat (laughs) that's what you wrote yeah oh my goodness so now i know what this guy looks like and where he lives and he so, also knows your car. No, he doesn't. No, I don't think so because I don't think he. I don't think they go that far to like take notes. To remember of, things. Don't remember things. Sure, yeah, sure. they just but act impulsively. Did. But I did. Yeah. Damn. And also, I don't live on that side of the highway anymore. Oh, nice. So they'll so never good. find they'll you. They'll never out. find me. It's amazing. Yeah, they do. They do like an America's do, Most Wanted, but like the, the lowest form of it. <laughs> they yeah. just jump over one street over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he thought he had gotten away. <laughs> but if they do find me, they probably will. They probably will torture me or something. Yeah, probably. You well, you, sh- you should put a rat on his car the next time you walk past. A rat, like a dead a real rat. rat. Yeah, yeah. enough. You, you should put a, yeah. a picture of you hugging your son and write the word jealous on it. <laughs> Jealous much? <laughs> just just photos of different famous dads and their yeah. sons. Don't hate me because you ain't me. Yeah. <laughs> just like teaching your son how to play catch. Yeah. Well, anyway, all right, let's get into the episode. You guys asked for it, and we have it. We have a Sean. Somebody said, somebody said the best episodes are the Sean-led episodes where you guys just don't talk as much and let Sean go. Yes. So we got one of those today for you. We got a, We got an episode. It's about uh, the Sinaloa cartel. Yeah. Um. So, Sean, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, we've done a, a fair number of, you know, kind of more silly, less research ones, and hopefully they were enjoyable. But like I said, I hope, uh, you know, at least uh, two of them a month <laughs> will do these kind of... <laughs> yeah, we've done a couple episodes where Scott goes, what if we talked about candy? <laughs> there was a chocolate factory explosion. Yeah. There was? But yeah, uh, so I wanted to talk a bit about, there's these two drug busts in Mexico that I think most Americans are not aware of, and I want to talk about the circumstances of them, and I think when I do, it'll become clear why these two drug busts are not much discussed in the U.S. media. And of course, you know, this is my my bet noir. It's about the Sinaloa cartel of El Chapo Guzman and its links to the CIA, or the U.S. government more generally. And uh, I'll kind of go through that. But just to kind of start at the beginning, you know, drugs, various estimates, illegal drugs taken maybe 700 billion, maybe 1.5 trillion a year. But we, we have really no way of knowing because obviously it's illegal. You can only kind of estimate it. But this is a lot of money. And of course, there's lots of banks that make a lot of money laundering the profits of that. And we now know that various intelligence agencies, including the CIA, they look at drugs as a great way to make off-the-book money, mm-hmm. off-the-books money, that you can do various covert operations with. That's what Iran-Contra was. Now, how do the banks make money from laundering the drug money? I mean, they have to pay to use their accounts and stuff? Yeah, and, yeah. they just take a percentage, you know, <clears throat> uh, like... It's the same as if you deposit, you know, a thousand bucks with the mm-hmm. bank, they mm-hmm. can turn loan that money out and right. they use it while you're not using it, basically, and they right. make money off your money. Right. So if you're a drug dealer, and this is exactly what happened with HSBC as one example, uh, they would just take in literally hundreds of millions yeah. and just have no questions whatsoever about where it came from. Right. And a lot of it was Sinaloa cartel. Others of it was, you know, terrorist financing and... and and such. Wachovia Bank is now, I Mm. believe, bought out by Wells Fargo, but they were notorious for just laundering drug money. So, And there was a a UN United Nations report that said that there were numerous banks, or there were at least several banks that would not have survived the 2008 financial crisis without drug money laundering, Mm -hmm. because it was a source of liquid capital at a time when, you know, everybody was freezing up their money. They weren't lending it out, but this drug money was still coming in. It was still liquid. Mm -hmm. We are saying the banks were aware of this. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, HSBC in particular, you know, we're we're so far beyond rule of law that they've, uh, I mean, you can read this all yourselves, but uh, they were accused of, like I said, laundering hundreds of millions for the Sinaloa cartel and nobody went to jail. They just paid a fine. And then they basically just went, oh, and they went into some like oversight agreement with the Federal Reserve, and then they just kind of went back to doing it. So someone from the cartel says, hey, we have all this cash, and it's from um, like Juan's Tacos or whatever, like right. they have like a fake business or something. Yeah. Does the bank just kind of look the other way? or There's money laundering laws. They're supposed mm-hmm. to verify source of income and such, mm-hmm. but what you'll see happen is the banks are like anybody else. You kind of don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth. So right. if someone walks in your branch and says, hey, I want to open an account with $4 million, you don't want to ask too many questions that would right. you know, trigger these money laundering reporting requirements and, uh, and potentially stop you from getting that money. Mm-hmm. It's pretty great. So like lesser cartels go to the bank <laughs> and they're like, hey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and they try to put in money, and they're like, no. Yeah. And they're like, but the other guy is here. And he's like, yeah, but you're not as big, as yeah. popular as him. That's funny. I wonder what happens when you try to get a loan for your pasta sauce company. <laughs> <laughs> what the bank says. Yeah. Yeah. But to talk about- uh, Are you trying to do mafia stuff? Yeah. Okay. Yes, I am. I'm flattered that you asked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I can't wait to tell my mother. <laughs> Mom, they thought they think I'm in the mafia. Ma, they thought I was doing mafia stuff at the bank. <laughs> well, hey, it's like, well, with the money laundering, like sometimes what'll happen is they'll just like know some little old lady on the corner, the cartel or whoever, drug dealer, and be like, hey, could you just go open this account for like $10 million? Mm-hmm. And this lady, you know, she's a, uh, a front but she won't have any, you know, verifiable income or job that would support how the fuck did you get $10 million? Right. And they would just look the other way. But whereas Mike, it would be the opposite. They'd be like, you sure you only have a grand? <laughs> You've been running this business for like a decade. This is no, triggering the opposite of our money laundering flags. No, I don't have a grand. I have one grand, <laughs> ma'am. Um, 
but yeah, so to talk about Mexico specifically, Mexico has been really hit hard by this. Uh, the the drug war in Mexico since 2006, probably minimum a 250,000 people have been murdered. Wow. And, you know, a quarter of a million. That's insane. That's more than, you know, U.S. casualties in Vietnam uh, by several orders of magnitude. So 250,000 deaths since 2005. And um, it's like 109-11s. Yes. Uh, Oswaldo Zavala is the author of the book Drug Cartels wow. Do Not Exist. And he points out that the, in Mexico, the murder rate was declining from 1997 to 2007, even in the border cities such as Juarez. So there was a homicide rate decline for like a decade. And then in 2007-8, it reverses and becomes this explosion that results in 250,000 deaths. And that's because the then Mexican president, Felipe Calderon, deployed the Mexican military to start fighting these so-called drug cartels. And the, the point of that title, Drug Cartels Do Not Exist, is the author argues that these criminal organizations are, they're not more powerful than the state. They've not taken over the Mexican state. Rather, they are just used by the Mexican and the U.S. state to achieve various ends. Like, he makes the point that a lot of times this cartel violence, this drug violence, seems to occur in areas that are targeted by uh, hydrocarbon corporations or that have natural resources that are targeted or that are targeted by property developers. So essentially what you can do is you can just kind of use the power of the state to direct drug violence or drug dealing or trafficking to a certain area. And then that'll, you know, bump up the murder rate. That'll uh, destroy property values. That'll chase people out of the area. And all of a sudden, if you want to like go in and buy shit, things are a lot cheaper. And, uh, you know, like, people have pointed out to me, the U.S. and the United States police do a kind of similar thing where they'll just kind of, you, you'll, you'll know bad neighborhoods that have open-air heroin markets or whatever, and the cops in the U.S. will kind of just direct it away from wherever the property developers want to be, you know? Like, so a neighborhood, let's say, that's just like owned by mom-and-pop people, they won't really give as much of a fuck if there's, you know, heroin trafficking or, you know, open air drug sales or crack smoking or injecting. But if it's a property that's owned by like a big developer that makes all the right political donations, they'll just kind of, you know, push the traffic away. And uh, you think the cops are conscious of that or that comes from the city and they're sort of just like. Yeah. This is what the city said. Mostly, I think the cops just follow orders. I think it all just kind of comes down. But it's. Um, it's kind of a disturbing thesis, and I think it's very correct because there's a lot of talk in the United States about turning these designating these cartels, these Mexican cartels, as terrorist organizations. And what that would do was essentially allow everything they've done in Mexico to be done here in the United States, uh, which is just essentially deploy the military, have you know drones and open air warfare out in El Paso or in Arizona or, or whatever. And I think what would happen is that all this violence would just be used oh. by the state for very particular purposes, which, as we mentioned, is like tends to be, hey, let's get our developer buddies a great deal by making these places shitholes and forcing everybody in them to sell their property for cheap. And then once they're out, then we can clean it up and make it all nice again and our developer buddies can get a healthy profit. And I guess I just want to say we're not really for or against uh, drug cartels per se either way. I really don't want my wife's decapitated corpse hung hung over a highway overpass. <laughs> what Mike's more concerned about is being uh, declined at a, at a taco stand. <laughs> no, we won't serve you. What do you mean? You listen to the podcast? <laughs> no, you too fat. <laughs> you listen to the fucking podcast, didn't you? <laughs> no, mister, you eat all of our stuff. <laughs> Why would they not serve me if I'm eating all their stuff? Because it's That's too much. They want to share it with the community. No, but if I'm paying for it because you're not spreading the word though of how good it is so it's only going to you yeah you know okay not uh, really logically not really logically sound <laughs> this fairy tale isn't very good <laughs> but yeah nice try i guess asshole <laughs> uh, no, we get it folks i'm fat <laughs> no you're not <laughs> don't say that about yourself yeah, but um, I wanted to kind of start, I mentioned these two drug busts, though I will just say quickly, I know Mike and Scott haven't seen the show Narcos on Netflix or Narcos Mexico on Netflix. Um, I've, I've watched all of it, and it's it's entertaining television. It's not 
necessarily factually accurate in a lot of areas, such as the murder of DE agent Kiki Camarena. I think they completely lie about that. Mm. But it's an entertaining show. I did show. see the scene where they shoot the old lady in the head. Yeah, that's, uh, well, that's like half oh. of every episode. <laughs> yeah. No, um, but yeah, I, I did just want to mention regarding Narcos Mexico, they did three seasons of it, and they mm. end in the late 1990s, which I always found so funny because... Like, the ratings were fine. It's a critically well-reviewed show. It has a lot of they, fans. I would watch another season. They ended the story that was in the late 90s? Yeah. They, okay. Because, like, they originally, the original Narcos was about Pablo Escobar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they did the Mexico one. And the Mexico one, like, they might do another Narcos somewhere else in the world. But they said, we're ending this Narcos Mexico in the late 1990s, which is when El Chapo Guzman, who's the... Former leader of the Sinaloa cartel, who's now in you know federal prison, the Supermax in Colorado. Uh, he was at that time in the late 1990s. He was in jail in Mexico, and in 2001, he uh, breaks out of prison for the first time. And then that's when the cartel become the Sinaloa cartel becomes its most powerful. Is in the the late 2000s. Um, so I just found it interesting that essentially they end this story. For not, not because the TV show was bad, not because it wasn't getting ratings, not because it cost too much. They end right. the story, but because they ended it right where it enters the exact point that U.S. government complicity becomes impossible to like fictionalize or play around or not deal with. Mm. Like there's this investigation by the Mexico, Mexico City newspaper El Universal in 2014, which essentially shows going back to the late 1990s, at least 50 meetings between DEA agents, uh, ICE agents, just other uh, represent, even federal prosecutors and their representatives between them and representatives of the Sinaloa cartel. Mm. These, all these meetings going back and forth between the U.S. government and the Sinaloa cartel, then there's also, uh, you know, some people discount the importance of this, but Operation Fast and Furious was a so-called sting where they sent at least 2,000 guns to the Sinaloa cartel and never arrested anybody high up in it. It's not clear. And they ended the show, not ghost, folks, right around when Hillary Clinton got involved. <laughs> and we're going to bring back the show, Narcos. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Operation Fast and Furious. We're going to have Lena Dunham start? play Hillary Clinton. It's going to be magnificent television. What year was Fast and Furious started? It's like 2009. It's early Obama, basically. Though okay, so it, it actually, was after the movie. It, oh, it no, is? No. It, it predates Obama, but then yeah. it kept going and it got discovered under Obama. So it's like 2006, right. I think, is when it actually starts. And then... It, no, I thought it was it like early... No, because I thought it was like 2003, the first Fast and Furious movie, because there yeah, was yeah. that movie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I'm not talking about the movie. Though they named what after the movies? I'm talking about the... The thing that we did. The CIA did that. Operation Fast and Furious. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's an allegation. And like, so the, Wait, that's I, only an allegation? That's not fact? That the CIA did Fast and Furious? Yeah, yeah. No, it was an ATF operation, but there's an allegation, which, you know, maybe I'll get to later. I don't want to get too bogged down in this, because essentially, like, I know researchers who are very smart who say Fast and Furious is, like, not a big thing, because it's only, like, 2,000 guns that they managed to bring to the Sinaloa cartel. But what I think is interesting is essentially tracing this, the Sinaloa cartel reaches the peak of its power after it starts in the late 90s, early 2000s, kind of directly cooperating with the U.S. government, the U.S. and, and the Mexican government, it should be said. The U.S. and Mexican government start arresting their rivals. They start, you know, giving them permission the Sinaloa cartel to traffic into the United States. That's, of course, disputed by the U.S. government, but I think the evidence that we'll get to is pretty clear. And uh, and then it does seem like the U.S. government starts arming them. And I would I believe that Fast and Furious was part of that, maybe a small part, um, but essentially gun walking is this idea that the ATF had, or they say they had, where we'll just uh, let We'll let people we know who are straw purchasers for the cartels, they can come to this gun shop in Arizona or whatever, they can buy all the illegal guns they want, and we'll tell the owner, which, we'll tell the owner, just sell, sell to anybody, we're like... That would be sweet if you own a gun shop and you're like, honey, some Mexican guys came in today and they, they bought all the guns. <laughs> yeah, well, there's some dipshit in Arizona, yeah, who owns a gun shop, right? Well, it's weird. It's, so it's called Lone Wolf Trading Co. Yeah. Um, and this, uh, this is owned uh, by a guy named Andre Howard. 
uh, Lone Wolf Trading Co. in Arizona. And he says, in the fall of 2009, ATF agents installed a secret uh, phone line and hidden camera in a ceiling panel and wall at his uh, Lone Wolf gun store in Rio Rico, Arizona. Uh, This is from the LA Times. Um, So he says the ATF came by and they said, hey, we're setting up some cameras here. We're doing all this. Just anybody who comes in and buys illegal guns, just let them. We're just we're filming them. We're gonna we're gonna arrest them later. Don't worry, it's all part of the plan. And he starts getting concerned because he says like over 15 months he just sold literally hundreds of thousands of dollars of illegal guns to these people, or you know like didn't check any paperwork, did yeah, all sorts people of all he otherwise would have not sold to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like a guy in like a cowboy hat who was holding an AK-47. He's like, he's like what's up, Holmes? I'm so <laughs> mentally ill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some guy crying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Crying about his wife leaving him. I'm fucking local, I say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is the this is the CIA. Just just give him a gun. <laughs> Some guy is like, "Can you help me put the location of the nearest school into my Google Maps?" <laughs> By the way, I would like a gun. <laughs> the only thing I hate more than children is background checks. Because <laughs> I've never passed. I would never pass one. <laughs> but uh, okay, so there's Lone Wolf Trading Co. Um, so he says, yeah, so for 15 months, they just, he kind of sold to whoever and he got concerned. And, uh, basically the only thing that ended this operation fast and furious and the whole reason is it was exposed was, um, this, uh, border patrol agent was killed, uh, by one of the guns. And, uh, so at least 2000 guns were sent to the cartels, primarily Sinaloa, more than 2000. Um, and a thousand of them at least came from this one guy's shop. Hmm. And, uh, it's interesting. This is in the beginning though, right? When they're sort of like, uh, gaining power. Well, yeah. I mean, this is, uh, when they're nearing their height because hmm. Chapo gets arrested for the second time in 2016. Mm-hmm. And I would say the height of his power is probably like second term Obama, mm-hmm. uh, before his, his arrest. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so, like, of at least 2,000 guns, half of them come from this one store, this Lone Wolf Trading Co. in Arizona. And then what's very weird is this is the same store that sells a 9 millimeter pistol to the guy who goes and tries to shoot up the Draw Prophet Muhammad contest uh-huh. in Garland, Texas, which is in 2015. They had some, like, Draw the Prophet Muhammad thing. Uh-huh. Uh, to, I guess, try to bait exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah, it was at like a tiny somebody, arena. This is like a convention yeah. hall. Did somebody get killed? Yeah. So, and this is like the fucking craziest story too, uh, because like, according to the Daily Beast, uh, day, uh, the guy who like tried to shoot it up, he was an ISIS, ISIS sympathizer and he got shot and killed by security like right away. Yeah. Um, but so f- quoting from the daily beast days before an ISIS sympathizer attacked a cartoon contest in Garland. I just Texas- want to say it's an honor to be the winner of the draw. Muhammad. <laughs> 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 just get shot in the head. I never won anything in my whole life. I worked really hard on this. <laughs> I took multiple art tests from through the mail. <laughs> you just get your head blown off. Uh, okay, yeah, da- Daily Beast. Days before an ISIS sympathizer attacked a cartoon contest in Garland, Texas, he received a text message from an undercover FBI agent, quote, tear up Texas, the agent messaged Elton Simpson days before he opened fire at the Draw Muhammad event, according to an affidavit filed in federal court. So this FBI agent was texting this guy, telling him to go tear up Texas, and, you know, this is uh, from Boltzmann Booty on Twitter, uh, He's found uh, that essentially that same FBI agent who sent that text was literally sitting in a car behind the shooter and took a cell phone picture of the attack 30 seconds before it happened. And this FBI agent was at the shooting, taking pictures of the shooting, and then tried to tear out of there in their car, but they were stopped by local police and arrested. And now they say, oh, it's just all an accident, a misunderstanding. Hmm. How amazing is that? Yeah, that's like, I mean, that's one of those things where it's so fucking blatant. I can't believe... He followed him to the shooting, and it was someone in the FBI is in contact with this... He's a, he's a kid, right? He looks like an anime fan. Mm. Leonard, whatever. He buys a gun from the same place that the Mexican Mexican cartel... Would, you know, you hear what Sean just said. Yeah. He goes to this fucking uh, Bra Muhammad thing with another guy. He's with another guy, his roommate, 
who also wants to kill That's people. life in America. We're just so afraid of sending our kids to school or to a draw Muhammad contest. <laughs> <laughs> Gun violence is out of control. <laughs> and, uh, oh, my God. Yeah, they fucking show up. And, and, and this whole time, so then the guy, you know, the, the, the FBI agent writes, tear up, uh, where is it, Texas? Texas, yeah. And then he wrote he back. the guy that did it? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. The guy who did it, this yeah. Leonard kid, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the FBI agent texted him that, and Leonard wrote him back like, "Hey, you don't be that obvious through text." He's like, uh-huh. hey, "You saw what happened in Paris. Like, I already know." Uh-huh. Talking about that Paris shooting at that concert, yeah. Eels of whatever the fuck. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then the FBI agent followed him there. Yeah. Took pictures of him get you know doing the shooting, and then mm-hmm. drove away as the shooting was happening. And then was like, oh, no, coincidence. Right. But that doesn't really make sense. You think it's an FBI agent Does gone it? rogue? Like, he lost it? What is his no. fucking defense? No, there I is mean, no defense. The defense is that, oh, it's a coincidence. That he was just there. It was nothing about... He wasn't actively trying to promote and provoke a shooting. But no, I mean, I think we have enough uh, uh, stories of the FBI entrapping people, but also just kind of letting the plots go forward, that I think... There are people within the FBI who do actively try to promote shootings and terrorist attacks. Try to drive people crazy. Because it justifies their own budget and it it pushes them closer to what they really want, which is a domestic terrorism bill. Like, that's what the FBI really wants because that's a total power grab because you don't even have to do anything illegal. They just say you're a terrorist. Mm -hmm. There's no fucking definition of that. It's just a person who disrupts the U.S. government or, you know. Or Mike taking a shit at a Walmart, you know. <laughs> what do you mean? They go, that's terrorism. What's to define terrorism, right. you know? Yeah. The next thing you know, they throw you in a work camp along with actual, actual American terrorists. Mike getting yeah. walked. Well, because you stunk up the Walmart <laughs> like you do whatever once every couple of months. I mean, it is kind of a low form of terrorism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the stuff I do at my gym. You're also in my jail gym. with them. <laughs> <laughs> the Starbucks bathroom in Times Square. <laughs> you it didn't is, even buy anything is, and you got in there's yeah, a code for a reason yeah, sir yeah yeah i watched a lady put the code in <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then i yeah that's like the first level of terrorism yeah absolutely what my ass does <laughs> and it chipotle <laughs> what bathroom. that ass do uh terrorism <laughs> to be quite honest yeah. like getting waterboarded at guantanamo bay because he took too bad of a shit somewhere <laughs> it's his ass though <laughs> wait, wait wait let me say something <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, James Bond. Instead of freedom at the end of uh, Braveheart, yeah, it's yeah, him yeah. <laughs> just farting. another shit. Yeah. Just I farting just... really loud and everybody in the audience like <gasps> being empowered by that. Yeah. yeah. That's comedy. It is funny. We do have kind of like a mixed audience. Like like people, I think we have a, a, a diverse group of listeners. Mm-hmm. And I was reading a Patreon comment. Somebody goes, oh, great. I love booger talk from Mike, <laughs> from Mike and Scott. Yeah. I saw that too. Um, but yeah, so, uh, got a little off topic, but I did think it was relevant and interesting, but what I wanted to start with, or at least how, so, but, but the FBI is just, they're just blatantly promoting, uh, shootings. I believe so. Attacks. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously if you say that you get called a conspiracy theorist right. and of course the FBI denies it. Right. But I think we have enough incidents. Like, I mean, the one in Garland, Texas that we just talked about is so blatant to me. Like it's insane. Mm-hmm. There's no other explanation for why an FBI agent texted this shooter, tear up Texas, yeah, yeah. and then was in the car waiting right before the shooting started, taking pictures of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no other explanation except they are trying to push this guy to do terrorism. Yeah. Um, what does the library want you to do? What does the library promote? The library? Yeah. What do you mean? What does the library promote? Reading, reading, right? Reading yeah. books. Yeah. Because that's how the library gets to operate. Gets to operate, yeah. yeah. The same with the FBI. Right, 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 right. It yeah, takes, there's no, shoot if these, there's no terrorism. Wouldn't it be cool? Is it, aren't you so sad? Mm-hmm. Kill everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. That's how mm-hmm. they make their money. It's like mm-hmm. why the library has these posters of hot women reading books. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is why the FBI has Muslims going out and doing terrorism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which We're just also, doing an, anti, an anti-reading podcast. I, I saw the woman, I, I watched an interview with the woman who did, who started that convention, the Draw Muhammad convention. Yeah, she's kind of hot. She, yeah, you saw her. She's not bad looking. Yeah, she's, yeah. And she, she's from up here. She's like from oh, up yeah. north. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, this happened in Texas, but she is tr- Jersey trash. I think she's chewing gum in the interview. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it was pretty hot. <laughs> I'll show you after this. Okay. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Alfred Smokes will have full nudes of that woman. 
<laughs> we should pay that lady for nudes and then hopefully yeah. with the money that we make. Well, yeah, we should ask her to draw nudes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Be like, we heard you're an artist. You're yeah, the yeah, woman yeah. who did the prophet. Actually, why don't Muhammad we do that? We'll, we'll draw that lady naked and we'll post it on the Patreon. <laughs> we'll do a contest. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Please, nobody shoot it up. Yeah. Right. And then you just write on it, the that prophet Muhammad. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll draw that lady getting fucked by the Prophet Muhammad. Yeah. Hey, what about a rapper named the Prophet Muhammad, but it's P-R-O-F-I-T? <laughs> that would be pretty cool, right? Yeah. The Prophet Muhammad? Yeah. There's no S's or C's in his name to put dollar signs in there. No, though. no, yeah. no. Yeah. But we could figure that out. Right. Yeah. yeah, his album goes platinum after he gets his head cut off by ISIS. <laughs> it's just really like the worst rap yeah. you've ever heard. yeah. Ching. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but uh, anyway, so kind of where I wanted to start the episode, or at least uh, continue it now that we've kind of gone down a couple different angles, but what I thought was so interesting is these two drug busts I mentioned that mm-hmm. most Americans are not aware of, and I'll just kind of go through the story of both of them, and uh, hopefully it becomes clear. Uh, so in 2007, specifically September 24, 2007, a Gulfstream 2 dr- jet crash-landed in the Mexican jungle near Cancun. Uh, two of the crew members and two passengers survived, but they were too injured to flee the scene. So they were all arrested and detained there. Uh, the rescue crews arrived. They found the plane contained at least 3.3 tons of cocaine, and which is apparently with the street value of that would be about $153 million. Wow. You know, if you're a large-scale cocaine trafficker, feel free to check the math in the comments. But These the- are small planes. Yeah, I mean, it's just like a private jet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they put 3.3 tons. Of, but like, the thing is, I've read a different, fair number of news reports on it. 3.3 tons is the minimum. I've also heard like New York Post says 3.3 tons. McClatchy says four tons. Tampa Tribune says 3.7 tons. So at least three. New York Times says two Mike sisters. <laughs> <laughs> hey. God, what are you right. saying exactly? <laughs> Shit. We opened up the sister can of worms. <laughs> now we can't put the genie back in the bottle. Imagine Mike's sister. All right, come on. On a plane. <laughs> no, no. Imagine two of her. Oh, God. <laughs> Just like try to try to explain to the jury how much cocaine it is. Like, you guys are aware of Microsine's sister, right? Yeah. Just no, I don't imagine. Because she's heavy and it crashed. I mean, because she's annoying, it crashes. It's, it's she's actually there was not two annoying. Of your, she's not. No. No, she's awesome. <laughs> I never met her. <laughs> I'm sure she's a great lady. Yeah. Okay, continue. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. So this Gulfstream 2, it crashes at least 3.3 tons of cocaine on it. $150 million of cocaine, approximately. And this would all be like a normal story. But the thing is, this exact same Gulfstream 2 crashes 2007. We know from the flight logs on it, in 2003, 2004, 2005, it flew to Guantanamo Bay at least three times. Guantanamo Bay is in Cuba. That's the exact CIA secret prison where they took all those Al-Qaeda detainees that they waterboarded and, you know, they're still keeping a fair number forever. But you can't fly to Guantanamo Bay. You mm-hmm. have to be high-level military CIA. They are not, they're going to shoot you down if you approach that airspace and you are not... <laughs> like a fucking CIA spook. Yeah, so this plane has been passed around by serious... Um, right. Yeah. Uh, forces. Right, and that's the thing. What, what it's like, okay, 2005, two years later, it crashes with $150 million of cocaine. Mm-hmm. It's not like they can say, oh, we used this in the 80s, and then we lost track. It, two years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, various sorts... That's enough cocaine for half a Red Scare live podcast. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but so... This jet had a life, right? Yeah. What did it do? It flew to Guantanamo (laughs) Bay? What kind of fucking Wario JJ the jet plane is this? Right. Well, that's the thing. Like, um, apparently, it's also, uh, I mean, according to various sources, it was identified by the EU Commission. They did a report on planes that were used to rend- extraordinary rendition detainees to Guantanamo. And this same tail number plane uh, was, was identified. This is tail number N987SA. Uh, so, 
you know, it was used by the CIA for rendition, and then two years later, it crashes. Oh, and I, I should note, when I say the flight logs that it flew at least three times to Guantanamo Bay, those three flights were from the United States. Uh, apparently, according to the New York Post, or no, according to McClatchy, it flew twice between Washington, D.C. and Guantanamo, and once between Oxford, Connecticut and Guantanamo. And I've heard uh, people say that if it was flying from the United States to Guantanamo, it was probably taking interrogators or other high-level personnel, like not taking, you know, black bag terrorists from the U- on the U.S. flights. Top-tier interrogators. Yeah, just the guys who did waterboarding or whatever were probably flown on this jet. Deborah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, uh, wh- it sounds like you're getting some emails from <laughs> ISIS. <laughs> Where the fuck did you put your SIM card? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, but so... Anyway, after 2005, after its last recorded trip to Guantanamo Bay, it goes through a bunch of like sales from different shell company LLCs. Who's this bitch on your phone texting your death to America? Allah <laughs> 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 Akbar. What's that about? But yeah, it's like it ends up with the Donna Blue Aircraft Incorporated, and this is the the last shell company. It's supposedly owned by these two Brazilians, but then it crashes with Donna all Donna the- Blue. Yeah, Was Donna Blue. A, a real estate agent. <laughs> Donna Blue Aircraft Incorporated. It, it ends up with these two Brazilians, but then it crashes with all these all this cocaine. And of course, they say no, we sold it like right away before. But then the FAA says we never got a record of this sale. So it's basically like if you if you try to piece together news reports about it, everybody's like, we have no idea. There's missing cocaine. We don't know who owns this. Mm. Okay, okay, but. Okay. It's just interesting where in the lead up, in both the months and the weeks before that crash, it just changes hands a bunch of times. There's a bunch of shell company LLC sales, which is exactly what you would do if you were using a plane for cocaine smuggling. How crazy. You're set, right? You are given permission to smuggle drugs with the CIA's plane Mm -hmm. and you You fucking crash crash it in the jungle near Cancun. Yeah. Which is like, I mean, what I find interesting about that is essentially... What, do they get fucking Amelia Earhart Jr. to fly? Hey, what, is this some sort of Three Stooges situation? You Laurel and Hardy Abbott and Costello motherfuckers. Sweetheart, no offense, but uh, we got a lot of cocaine on that plane. I don't know. Amelia Jr. No, you don't. You don't even got to worry about that cocaine. I know the best pilot is my cousin Cross-Eyed Jimmy. He landed without a hitch. Uh, have you love- ever had? Have you ever flown with a female pilot? Oh, I don't know. I never check. I don't. Yeah, look I know. I never check you know? either. Yeah, I just. I don't think it would. I don't think I'd bat an eye. You know. No, I don't. No, I, I, I don't think I would either. I just don't think I've ever had one, so I yeah, don't know. Yeah, but it's not like pedaling. I don't know a, how like I would a, react. You know, it's not like kayaking. Like right. a, you know, if I went to kayak and it was like a tiny lady in front of me, yeah, I'd be like, "Are you serious?" But yeah. yeah. A plane, I don't care. If it was like a rickshaw. You, you ever hear that? It's, not, it's a fucking airplane. It's not a rickshaw. <laughs> Just like Mike getting on the plane and being to Deborah, like, all right, we got to get out of here. <laughs> no, I saw some titties in the cockpit. <laughs> I do not trust my son on this vehicle. Yeah. Deb, what if she hits on me? Consider that. <laughs> Have you considered that if she hits on me? You know what, Michael? You're right. <laughs> Let's get the fuck off this plane before this horror of a pilot. <laughs> you, oh yeah, you, you don't want you don't want Deb to think it's because women can't fly. So you're like, look, right. she she was making some she was making yeah. some eyes at me. I you know she was I think she was trying to talk to me. I, <laughs> She's banging on the cockpit door. <laughs> Is someone in this cockpit trying to fuck my husband? Yeah. Not Deb. I think I might have went to high school with her. All I'm right, just saying. We're calling the air marshal. You, you trying to fuck my, my, my man in high school? You. Open the cockpit. Open it right yeah. now. Let me show you a photos family, of our son. A, fa- a family thrown off a plane. <laughs> I'm like, she's getting arrested. Yeah, yeah. You're like, supposed to do terrorism. You have to call yeah. ISIS. and be- That's why Americans can't do terrorism. Yeah. Because their wives ruin it for them. You yeah. know, they get kicked off the flight and have to call mm-hmm. the leader of ISIS. Mm-hmm. There we go. That's mm-hmm. a bit. She was making a scene. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's like like those Saudi agents who did the dry runs of 9-11, but it's just Deb trying to kill the fucking pilot who's making <laughs> eyes at Mike. Only one one person can make this plane land. Just Deb. You son of a bitch! 
land that plane. <laughs> she just yells at the plane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the yeah. plane goes, okay. Yeah. What's the highest point in this city? She's <laughs> standing on the highest point, yelling at the sky. She is pretty. You guys have never had Deb mad at you, but it is pretty scary. Oh, I'm sure it's terrifying. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the uh, the Gulf Stream 2. Okay, yeah. So this takes off from St. Petersburg Clearwater International Airport, which is about nine miles north of St. Petersburg in Florida. So it takes off from there. It lands in Colombia. It loads up on cocaine. And the Mexican authorities, they would later say it was bringing that cocaine from Colombia to Mexico for El Chapo Guzman, the leader of Sinaloa cartel. And then it crashes. But then we get to another event that is a very is similar but it happens not even a year earlier so on april 5th 2006 a dc9 dc9 is a different type of private plane a dc9 leaves this same fucking airport st petersburg clearwater international airport florida yeah uh bound for venezuela so this dc9 leaves the same fucking airport it's uh, has an interesting history as well. This DC nine, it was owned, it was used by the Seahawks as a team plane in the 1990s. It was uh, Howard Dean's presidential campaign plane in mm. 2004. The guy, yeah, uh, yeah, the yeah, yeah. He, he, <laughs> he used some of the contents of the plane before he went on stage that day. Oh, man. Uh, apparently, also, uh, you know, I've heard reports. I don't have the source for this, but it was used for extradition flights from Mexico, like when they would bring criminals to the United States to extradite. It was used for that. Um, <clears throat> but regardless... It was used to torture people at Guant- Guantanamo. They try to stick it up their ass. Is that is that anything? Yeah. No. I think it is, Michael. No, I think you should rift it you, out for like three minutes. Another, I think that's a bit. You slowly you, pu- uh, push a plane into a before, man's asshole. Before we recorded, you made... We can't just fall back on jokes about things going in and ass. And Wait, before I said you texted that? the group chat, you said, you said, I'm at the market. Does anyone, does anyone need any cucumbers for their ass? No, I, I specifically asked you. you me, I yeah. know Sean wouldn't need any for his ass. <laughs> I know Sean's responsible and shopped earlier this week for things to put in his and that's ass. That's a problem. The CIA loves to put cucumbers <laughs> in their ass. <laughs> that's why he's against it. <laughs> he found a secret society where. Yeah, Bill, Sean's Bill against Clinton. fertilizer because it affects his ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill Clinton and Alan Dershowitz just shared a cucumber. <laughs> Either end went in each of their ass. Right. I don't feel moral about it anymore. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So this DC-9, it takes off from Caracas, Venezuela, April 10, 2006. It's destined for the United States. Not destined for Mexico. Destined for the United States. It is forced to make a, an emergency landing in uh, Ciudad del Carmen Airport in Mexico. Uh, the crew on board says there's hydraulic problems with the landing gear. So it has to, this DC-9 has to make an emergency landing in Mexico, and the people at the airport become suspicious because there's no passengers, it's just two crew, but they have 128 black suitcases. And so the army, the Mexican army, shows up, and they surround it, and, you know, the the crew and the people at the airport are like, no, you can't search it. There's like a risk of a fire or whatever. But the, the Mexican army goes in and they... Hey, fu- what's the Mexican army look like? Mike, do an impression. <laughs> this is the Mexican army. Yeah. Uh, put your hands up. <laughs> M- Mexican army shows up to a crash plane like a Oompa Loompa. <laughs> Got him. Come on. All right, go ahead, Sean. Uh, oh yeah, so they show up and um, You've got some (laughs) cocaine for me Uh, Oh yeah, 128 suitcases Black suitcases They're filled with 5.5 tons of cocaine So even more cocaine than last time And uh, like I said It was just the pilot and the co-pilot But somehow the pilot is able to escape The co-pilot's arrested The pilot escapes Mm. And this is a situation where You know, bribes were clearly paid to people at the airport Bribes were paid all around, you know So uh, it's just not clear how this pilot gets away Well, the pilot was a woman And she put on like a Chiquita banana costume (laughs) And she just kind of like danced out of there She's like, oh, don't mind me I'm just a lady She hid in a tree for a day definitely was not flying the plane (laughs) She just was dressed like Bugs Bunny (laughs) <laughs> um, 
But so this DC-9 airliner, uh, there's a researcher named Daniel Hopsicker, who I think is good, but some people in the mainstream press have dismissed as a conspiracy theorist. So if you want, you can take this with a grain of salt. But he's linked this DC-9 airliner. uh, Well, he's pointed out, you can see it. It was painted to look exactly like one of those Department of Homeland Security planes. Mm -hmm. Like it looks like a mini presidential plane. Like they put Mm -hmm. the blue paint on it and all that shit. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, he's pointed out that it belonged to a company which received an unexplained investment from San Diego defense contractor Titan Corp. Uh, it was also used, this same DC-9, uh, without reimbursement during the first-time senatorial campaign of Florida Republican Senator Mel Martinez in 2004, who was uh, Bush's hand-picked chairman of the National Republican Party. So it's just like, it has this kind of, not quite as like, explicitly red flag history is flying directly to Guantanamo Bay, but it does have a very similar history of like kind of shady uses in just like a couple years before it was used to move over probably 200 million of cocaine. And then it gets caught. And also just another weird thing, Porter Goss was George W. Bush's CIA director. He resigns on May 5, 2006. It's still never been explained why he resigned. Like, he was just just confirmed in September 2004 as CIA director, and then he's out May 5, 2006, which is just a month after this first uh, cocaine bust plane. So, uh, you know, that's not proof, but there's never been any actual explanation as to why he just kind of resigned suddenly for no reason. But then, okay, we can finally link these two planes because the Mexican authorities, the Mexican attorney general, um, they arrest a financier for the Sinaloa cartel, and they say this guy bought both of these planes. And so, you know, that kind of leads us into this whole thing where it's like these two planes with almost 10 tons of cocaine, one of which is very explicitly linked to the CIA. The other one seems pretty linked to the CIA, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of cocaine being brought into the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, the vast majority of planes don't crash. The vast majority of planes don't get searched at the airport. So it's like, we only know about these two. Yeah. Because in one case, there was a crash. In another case, you know, there was... Why are they crashing? Well, so I've heard a couple different stories for the first one. The first one might have been like the authorities, the Mexican authorities got tipped off and they were following the first... Mm -hmm. uh, or. I guess chronologically, it's the second one, the one that crashed in the jungle. Mm-hmm. I've heard that it uh, they got tipped off and the Air Force was following it, and then the airport it was supposed to land at reneged because they realized there was police presence and you know cops on it, so they just kind of circled around, and then they made an emergency crash landing in the jungle. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is uh, not quite as clear, but like I said, the crew said they had the hydraulic problems. It might have just been straight hydraulic problems. But whatever the case was, it's like the vast majority of planes are not caught and you have just two examples that we only get to learn about through chance where you have 300 million of cocaine and it's just something where i think about i guess the scale of it if this was a cooperative relationship between the cia and the sinaloa cartel where we've seen that they were given immunity to uh, bring cocaine into the United States. They were probably given weapons through Fast and Furious and this other stuff, and they might have probably been given access to CIA planes. Or like the the way these agreements have worked in the past, like Iran-Contra, is they've said, you just give us a percentage. Or they had an earlier, degli- de- uh, an earlier deal with Pablo Escobar, which was you just donate some money to the fight against communism, or you donate, you know what? You know. So it's like, once you kind of put that all together... It seems clear to me that the CIA was helping that. Maybe they were not being as direct as helping them by like giving them planes, but they were certainly not hindering their access to planes, I guess, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And now, I guess the question would be why would they want this to happen? Right. And, you know, as best as I can tell, drug mafias have worked as a good proxy force for the CIA for basically all of history since World War II, mm-hmm. where, you know, I've gone through this before, but World War II, they used the Sicilian mafia when uh, they invaded Sicily. They used those mafiosas to kind of take over the area, guide them, and they really actually put a lot of mafia people who Mussolini had imprisoned or, you know, ex- exiled, they put them back into power. 
then in France at the Marseille docks, the whole French connection, they use these these mobsters, these heroin traffickers, to break up strikes, to you know beat up communists. That was the priority. Mm-hmm. And then Southeast Asia, Vietnam, the the KMT, the, the remnants of the, the the government that was overthrown in in China. Um, they or you know in in Laos they used heroin to support their proxy armies in Afghanistan just both in the eighties and then just recently the Northern Alliance all our forces were heroin mafias or the the Pakistan's ISI the Pakistani military this all so the Northern by Alliance they, they weren't like great right. No, I mean, they supported themselves through heroin traffic, and the original leader, Massoud, at least was adamant about no U.S. troops in Afghanistan. This is before mm-hmm. he died, like, days before 9-11. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's understandable if you're an insurgency, you do... It, it's understandable that you would support yourself off drug traffic, though not all do, yeah. the, the IRA, for example. Um, but the point is... If you're trying to, let's say, keep drugs out of your country, why are you supporting all these other proxy forces, all these other drug forces, or, you know, Colombia, the Colombian military, and all these right-wing paramilitaries that murder union organizers in Colombia? They support themselves through the the drug trade. And what you kind of get to is this point where you can maybe justify it in, like, a local area if you want to close your mind and say the goal of defeating communism is more important than stopping the drug traffic. But once you've done this for literally decades at this point, Mm -hmm. you start to see all this blowback in the United States. And you start to see this point we're at now where over 100,000 people die of overdose deaths every year in the United States. And this is just like a five alarm fire epidemic. And what has created it is this multi-decade like at least five decades, deliberate policy of just picking which drug cartel we wanted to win, mm-hmm. you know, and supporting them. Like, and that's what kind of happened with Sinaloa. They became powerful because they became the U.S. and the Mexican government's go-to cartel. But there's so many other areas where they've done that exact same policy, and what it has done is it has made all of these different cartels more powerful and made them more integrated into the U.S.-led world order. Right. So it's kind of silly when you hear lawmakers over here talk about how, like, we need to go to war with the cartels. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, it's literally, they have these various bills that you can look at to declare the cartels a terrorist organization. But it's always clear, like, it'll say that explicitly in the legislation as written, they won't say all the Mexican cartels. They will name specific Mexican cartels. And that's exactly the same way the shit worked with the Sinaloa, where... The government, they will use the U.S. government or the Mexican government, they will use the war on drugs and they will use it to prosecute the enemies of their favored cartel. Mm-hmm. It's never been mm-hmm. about wiping out the drug trade. It's mm-hmm. been about wiping out the enemies of our favored drug Whoever clients. they're in cahoots with. Right. Which, which w- kind of seems like it's El Chapo's people or well now, whoever that is, right? Right. The U.S. government or the CIA or DA, whoever... They pick a winner, and then they can, at a moment's notice, flip. Who You know, a guy can... If you're a drug trafficker working with it, the CIA, you have a shelf life. Right. Like, at some point, you become more trouble than you're worth, such as Manuel Noriega in Panama would be a good example. So, as soon as you're more trouble than you're worth, they just move on to the next guy. Well, you know, I saw Lindsey Graham, who I, I could give a shit about, but he's like super pissed about about uh, Mexican cartels like over the last week and he wants to go to war with them, mm-hmm. you know, and what he said and what I liked because it sounded like it was out of a, out of an action movie. He's like, you know, I did cocaine off a man's penis last yeah. week and, and it wasn't very good. He's like, someone's going to get this cocaine out of my ass and I don't <laughs> trust these American doctors. So someone, please. If you could suck this cocaine out of my ass. <laughs> Sean, I had a guy go get, take a straw, suck it out of my ass for about a couple, about half an I hour. I need one of your cartel men to get over here and do that for me. Uh, but anyway, uh, he brought up a great point, which is, and I agree that these cartels are working with the government, whatever, whoever the fuck's doing it. But Lindsey Graham is like, it's you're not hiding in caves like, like the other enemy was or is. Mm-hmm. We know where your mansions are. You're living in mansions. We know where you are. We can come get you. And that's such an interesting part of this where, yeah, they can let all all the drugs into this country that we want so long as it, whatever, causes issues here and 
creates an enemy over there, right? Um, but we can also go, oh, we want to go to war with the cartel now. Right. But in reality, that's if you want to do that, you just show up to the mansions just with helicopters. Yeah. Well, I mean, just declaring war on the cartels would be another big bonanza for defense contractors right. and uh, the police, the military, private contractors, everybody. It's just like a big cash grab as soon as you declare war on something. Which I never thought of. You go, oh, but there's cartel members here. And then right. all of a sudden they're like shooting up areas of Texas. Like right. Exactly. exactly. I never considered there that. There are major drug point, traffickers maybe. here, but they're uh, the executives at J.P. Morgan Chase <laughs> and HSBC right. and the directors of the Central Intelligence. But as soon as you, you know, as soon as they say we need to go after drug traffickers here, that's not what they fucking mean. You know, they just want to, like, create a war zone in the Arizona-Texas border area. Um but no, I mean, on the Patreon, I'll talk about the the trial of this guy, um, uh, Jesus Vincente Zambata Niebla, who's El Vincentilo. Yeah, this hey, listeners, next... don't say that in a mirror three times, okay? El Vincentilo. Yeah, we're not liable for whatever happens. But what, I'll just kind of like give you uh, a brief preview of this, because this guy, El Vincentilo, is the son of the current leader of... Sinaloa, now that uh, Chapo's in jail. Current leader of Sinaloa is known as El Mayo. He's got a $15 million reward from the U.S. federal government, if you can bring him in. But his son went to jail in the United States. What's his sister's name? El... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, get her ass. (laughs) His son went to jail... Are you the man who called my sister El Ketchup? (laughs) 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 Ah, Not for my child! <laughs> El Mayo's son went to uh, jail in the United States in 2011. He went to trial, and the trial of it is how we got all this information, how El Universal got this information about the cooperation with the Sinaloa cartel because all these DEA agents and federal prosecutors, they had to testify. And I'll kind of go through that. But what I find so interesting is this, uh, this guy, Elvin Centillo. He goes to trial. He uh, pleads out in 2013. He testifies against Chapo in 2019. And then he pleads out. He admits to trafficking literally billions of dollars, or at least a billion, into the United States. He admits to kidnappings, murders, plural, all this stuff. Sentenced in 2009 or 2019, after he cooperates against Chapo, he's sentenced to 15 years in prison. He's out of jail in 2021. He does, does two years in prison for multiple murders, kidnappings, importing billions of cocaine, and the federal government won't really say where he is, what he's doing. They won't confirm or deny he's in witness protection. But it's just so interesting to me that it's like, this is the son of the current leader of the Sinaloa cartel is clearly in witness protection or like an asset of the U.S. government now, and he doesn't even do two years in prison for importing over a billion in cocaine, multiple billions, cocaine and heroin into the United States, killing people, all this. And I guess what it just kind of leads me to is they've used Sinaloa, both the U.S. and Mexican government, as a proxy force, and they probably want to keep this guy around to have that option again in the future. Mm -hmm. Because he's one of this guy's El Vincentilo, who speculated about as a future leader of it. He might be in witness protection, but they'll plug him out of that to go run a cartel. They could do so How at any point. cool. Yeah. More like litness protection, right? It's yeah. lit, yo. Yeah, All so right, I guess the anyway. government really doesn't, they really don't like any kind of uh, pro-labor stuff. No. Seems like they do a lot to stop people, stop workers from organizing. Yeah, well, right. it's, you know, it's the... The, the police arm for multinational corporations. Mm. And so as soon as you have labor organizers, the price of everything goes up. Yeah. If you want to get bananas from, you know, Honduras or Colombia. Yeah. Does this stuff bum you out? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I've just kind of... Um, I've more embraced just trying to learn because I think I've accepted... I, I know so little that I've got this entire like multiple shelves full of books that I'm going to make myself go through in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so I guess there is, it is depressing, but there is some thrill in terms of, I finally am starting to understand the world as it actually is mm-hmm. and not as CNN tells me it is. 
You know, like once you actually kind of understand that the United States is a country like anything else, there are hidden forces that are not acknowledged publicly in the media, but they very much do exist. They very much are structural and they do, once you understand them, you can kind of better predict how things are going to go in the future. Yeah. That is a harder road to go down, especially as a podcaster. You definitely depend on listeners to listen to your Patreon, support you on Patreon. And, uh... I don't know. Do you want to be a do you ball? Wanna, yeah. Well, we're going to start releasing the, the uh, Patreon episodes the same day. Do you want to keep keep going or do you want to do the rest on the Patreon? No, I think we're at an hour now, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So hour seven. Okay. So let's continue. I have, I have more about the, uh, the trial of Elvin Santillo. And, uh, you know, if I haven't convinced you, the listener yet, I got some more evidence on the other side. And if I have convinced you, I got... Some a couple of interesting stories, I hope. Nice. Yeah, if you don't think the feds are smuggling drugs, explain Mike's asshole. Hey, oh. That's three jokes about my asshole. I know, tonight. but we had to. Yeah. So then there's none on the Patreon. <laughs> All right. See you on Patreon, everybody. Bye bye. <laughs>